Hello again, everybody, and welcome to our podcast. Uh, I, w- I want to go ahead and just open up with a quick word of prayer, and we'll dive right into what the Lord's placed on my heart today. So, Father, we thank you for today, Lord, and we, we come before your word humbly and with expectant hearts. Thank you, Lord, that uh, I-, I deliver this word accurately with boldness as you've given it to me, Father, that it would not be my words or my wisdom, but it would be words and wisdom of the Holy Ghost, Father, and that it, as it goes forth, that it would save, it would heal, it would set free, it would deliver, it would do what only your anointed word, what only you can do, Father. And I thank you that you'll use it to bring clarity, you'll use it to, to um, clear up misconceptions, to do uh, exactly what you've intended for it to do. In Jesus' name, amen. So let's go ahead and get started by talking about this, this topic here, and, and I think it's really important for us to address in the body of Christ, and it's called this, that the sin of unbelief. Now, so many times in Christianity, we hear about all these different types of sins. We hear about, you know, uh, lying and stealing, and, and all these things are, you know, based on, on a list of do's and don'ts, or we see things that, that come out of the Old Covenant, out of the Ten Commandments, for instance. And we go and we see these things, and they're presented to us, and we're, we're told that these are the things that we're not supposed to do. These are the things that we don't do as believers. And, and so we see all these things, but rarely, if ever, do we deal with the sin of unbelief. And I, I really think that that is, uh, you know, that's a shame because I, I'm convinced that Jesus Christ has gone and he has dealt with the sin issue once and for all. And, and since Jesus has gone and dealt with the issue of sin, since Jesus has dealt with the problem of sin, that then... The only thing left, the only thing left for us to deal with is, is the sin of unbelief. Will you believe what Jesus has done? And that's really what I, I firmly believe that the biggest battle in Christianity is. It's not overhealing or prosperity or 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 faith or anything else. No, that the the biggest battle, the biggest thing for us in Christianity, for us to understand, is the simple fact that Jesus has already gone, Jesus has already fought the battle. Jesus has already won the battle for us. Will you believe what he has done for you? Will you believe what he's already done? And and so let's go ahead and um, we'll start off here in Hebrews chapter 10, Hebrews 10 and verse 1. And it says this, "'For the law, having a shadow of the good things to come,' and not the very image of the things, can never, with those same sacrifices, which they offer continually, year by year, make those who approach perfect. For then would they not have ceased to be offered? For the worshipers, once purified or purged, would have had no more consciousness of sins. So he, he's going, and, and uh, the, the writer of Hebrews here is going and laying a comparison out to the Old Covenant here. He's saying that the law, the Old Covenant, the the old way of doing things, had a shadow of good things to come, and these sacrifices, which were offered to to cleanse men and women of their sins, um, if they actually could have gone and done something, they they would have made those who came and offered the sacrifices perfect. Because, uh, you know, if they could have done that, then they would have ceased to be offered. But, he says this, you know, this didn't happen, verse 3, for in these sacrifices, there's a remembrance of sins every year. So these sacrifices in and of themselves didn't have the ability to, to purify um, Old Testament saints to, to, to purge their minds from sin consciousness. Verse 4, for it is not possible that the blood of bulls and goats could take away sins. 
So those, those offerings were only offered to cover up their sins, to go and allow them to present the sins as covered. There was no forgiveness in there for them. Now, verse 5, Therefore, when he came into the world, he said, Sacrifice and offering you did not desire, but a body you have prepared for me. So this is Jesus speaking to the Father, a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sacrifices for sin, you had no pleasure. Then I said, Behold, I have come to do or I've come in the volume of the book, it is written of me, to do your will, O God. Verse 8, previously saying, Sacrifices and burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire, nor had pleasure to them, which are offered according to the law. Then verse 9, he, he said, I came to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Now we read all this to get to verse 10. By that will, meaning by the will of God, the the will of God to take away the first covenant, the sacrificial system, uh, the the old way of of going and living and being and doing, Uh, by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Now catch this phrase, once for all. Some, some translations say that we've been, uh, or in other verses it tells us rather, uh, that, that he was the final sacrifice for all time. So let, let me ask you this question. Did Jesus have to get crucified? Did he have to offer up his body uh, for one time for my sins and one time for your sins and one time for your mother's sins and, and one time for your brother's sins and your sister and your aunt and your uncle? And no. He did it one time, and in that one instance, in that one time of being offered up, uh, John, I believe it is, tells us that he took all the judgment upon himself for all of our sins. He dealt with them one time at the cross. He he, he went and he took care of them, and he has dealt with sins. He he goes and he has now made us perfected. And and if you jump down into... uh, Verse uh, 15 of this chapter, it says, But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us. For after he had said before, this, talking about the new covenant, that after Jesus had gone to the cross and been crucified, this is the covenant I will make with them after those days, says the Lord. Watch this. I will put their laws in, my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them. And then he adds, Their sins and their lawless deeds, what? I will remember no more. Now, where there's a remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. Catch that. There is no longer an offering for sin. And then if you go and continue down, and we're not going to read the chapter for time's sake, but if you go and continue the chapter, it talks about because of the blood of Jesus, we can enter with boldness. We can enter the courts of the Father. We can enter through the veil, and we can go and present ourselves without fault, without blameless to the Father, and we can go and live and, and, and be exactly who we're, we were created to be. Why? Because our sins have been dealt with. Your sins were dealt with on the cross. My sins were dealt with on the cross. Now you say, well, e- even the sins that, you know, I didn't commit yet? Well, you know, when, when Jesus hung on the cross, all of those sins were in the future anyways. E- every single sin that would be committed was already in the future. Now the only thing left is unbelief. 
And why is that? We see all throughout the scripture, and we're, we're going to look um, you know, at a few verses to bear this out, but we see all throughout the scriptures that the only thing left is for us to believe. In Romans, it tells us, with the heart man believes, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. That's how we go and how we receive, how we obtain to this gift, this freedom that we've been provided through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians 2.8, it tells us that we've been saved by grace, through faith, and that not of ourselves. It's the gift of God. The only way to go and receive grace that has been provided is by faith. If I were to go to you and say, you know, hey, I've got a $100 bill right here, and you know, it's yours. All you got to do is take it. Well, you could sit there and do nothing and say, well, I don't, I don't believe Dave would give me $100. You know, I just, man, I can't believe that he would do that. I, I just, I can't believe that. Or, you could go and you could reach out in faith and take it. Now, whether you reach out in faith or not, does that change the fact that that $100 was there for you? Does that change the fact that you had access to that $100 bill? No. It doesn't matter what you decide to do with it. It doesn't matter how much um, you sit there and ignore it. If you don't reach out and take by faith, what has been provided by grace, it's not going to do anything to you. Let's go ahead and look over at John chapter 16, and we'll, we'll look here more at this, this idea of unbelief and, and the, the job of the Holy Spirit. John chapter 16 and verse 7. John 16, 7, this is, this is Jesus here talking, and uh, you know he, he says this. He, he's talking about his, his leaving uh, the earth. He says this, Nevertheless, I tell you the truth. It's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I depart, I will send him to you. And when he has come, watch what he's going to do. He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment. Now, a lot of times we go and we stop there and we say, well, the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict you of sin. And if, if you're, you know, let's say, uh, you know, if you're not tithing, for instance, the Holy Spirit's going to come and he's going to convict you about not tithing. He's going to go and he's going to con convict you of that, um, you know, and then we say if, if uh, you know, somebody's, say, somebody's sleeping with somebody before they're married, the Holy Spirit's going to convict them uh, of the sin of that. But, but read the verses in context. Verse 9, of sin, continuing that thought, he'll convict the world of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So he's made a list, and now he's going to go back and address each item in that list. Of sin, Why? Because they do not believe in me of righteousness because I go to my father and you see me no more and of judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, I want to back up to verse nine. He says I, he's going to convict the world of sin because they do not believe in me. The Holy Spirit's job here, and we see it's threefold and we talked about this a few weeks ago, but the Holy Spirit's job here is to convict you of the sin of unbelief. So I, I, I want to present this to you, that every sin committed by a Christian, every sin committed by a Christian, every sin act is the result of unbelief. Every sin committed by a believer is the result of unbelief. Let's go back and take that example of tithing, for instance. You see, if somebody goes and they don't tithe, it, it's, the Holy Spirit's not going to come and convict them of the sin of tithing or of not tithing, he's going to go and he's going to convict them and say, are you trusting me with your finances? Are you truly believing that 
When I said that you that I'm going to take care of you financially, you just need to prove that you trust me. Are, are we going to go ahead and believe that? Look at uh, look at the the fornication instance, you, you know, or example for instance. Um, he's not going to go and and say, "I'm going to go and convict you of of sleeping with somebody before you're married." No, he's saying, "I'm going to convict you, and, and I'm going to say, look." Your problem here isn't that you're sleeping with somebody before you're married. Your problem is that you don't trust me to make it perfect when you do get married. You don't trust me enough to wait until I bring to you what I've already had planned out for you from the foundation of the world. You see, all sin in the believer's life, you, you can go and take any sin. Somebody goes and steals. Well, the, the issue isn't the fact that they stole. The issue is that they don't believe that God will take care of them that they don't believe that God will provide those things for them, that God will give them the desires of their heart. You, this, is, this is really a, a complete and total change from the way we've been taught over the years, that, that the issue isn't the individual list of sins that you've committed. The issue is simply, will you choose to believe God? Will you choose to believe who he is? Will you choose to believe what he said to you in his word? Now, the, the, the biggest thing here that we want to watch out for then is the danger of sin management programs. Sin management programs are, and, and b- before I go and, and say this, let me make this disclaimer. I'm not, you know, downplaying anything like Alcoholics Anonymous or counseling or things like that. Those are all important things. And, you know, those, those may be the, the direction that the father goes and and leads an individual to take as, as they go through their journey, their, their times of prayer. Those may be the things that they need, but I'm talking about righteousness on the inside of you. You know, I'm talking about not external actions. I'm talking about how, how to understand that you're the righteousness of God. And so, so for so long in the church, we've gone and we've built up these sin management programs, and we've said that in order to be holy, in order to be holy, you've got to go and you can't, you can't lie, you can't cheat, you can't steal, you can't go to the movies, you can't drink a Coca-Cola, you can't, um, I guess Dr. Pepper's a better example in Texas, they get all up in arms if you take away their Dr. Pepper down here, um, you know, but you, you can't have that, you can't go to the movies, you can't go to a dance, you can't, you can't sleep with your neighbor's wife, and, and you know, we've gone and we've jumbled all these things together under the label of sin management, and we've said, what we're going to do is we're not going to go and, and point you to the fact that you're the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Because watch, that's, that's the next thing, verse 10, that the Holy Spirit's going to come and convict the, the, the world of sin, and then he's going to convict us of righteousness because he's gone to his Father. Because Jesus has already gone to the Father, the Holy Spirit is coming and speaking into your heart and saying, you are already righteous. I have made you righteous. Will you believe that? No, the church has gone and said, you know what? In order to be righteous, you've got to go and you've got to follow this list of rules and, and these regulations. And, and if you don't follow them, then you're not righteous. You're in, you're in, you know, you're in wrong standing with God. You've got to go and you, you've got to do all these different things to make it right. You've got to, you know, this many Hail Marys, this many Our Fathers, whatever the case may be. And, and really, the, the simple fact of the matter is this, that the Holy Spirit 
isn't concerned with your actions. He's concerned with your heart because right believing will produce right living. Because if he can get you to trust that Jesus has already gone and taken care of these situations, that Jesus has already dealt with this for you, that Jesus has already done everything that needs to be done regarding these situations, then you're going to walk out that truth. And so these, these sin management programs wind up being extremely dangerous. I, I remember a story. Uh, this, was, this was years ago I heard, I heard this minister tell it. His name is David Horton. And he was talking about his, uh, his grandmother, I believe it was, was a member of some church somewhere. And, um, you know, she was, she was there. And the, back in that church, the, the, how, how he termed it, the sin deciders, uh, you know, the people who decided what was sin and what wasn't sin, decided that wearing silk stockings and, and drinking a Coca-Cola was a sin and that that would get you kicked out of the church and you're going to hell for, for wearing silk stockings and drinking a Coca-Cola. And for some reason, the men had input in, in what was sin for the women and not vice versa. But, you know, that's, a, that's another topic for another time. And, and so it, it got back to the church leadership that his grandmother had gone and she, she was uh, wearing silk stockings out somewhere and drank a Coca-Cola. And she was a devout member of that church. And, and those, those, uh, those sin deciders, those leaders in that church got all up in arms and, and they decided that this is what they were going to do. They were going to go and they were going to kick her out of the church. And now his grandfather uh, wasn't, wasn't, a, wasn't a believer, wasn't a, a religious man at the time, and, but he defended his wife's right to be. And so he, he came in there and said, listen, fellas, if... Uh, if you kick her out of the church, then I'm going to kick your, and you know, he, he used certain language that we won't use here on this podcast. And, um, all of a sudden the, the sin deciders had a revelation. Silk stockings and, and Coca-Cola weren't a sin anymore. <laughs> and so, you know, we, we've gone and churches have made these programs up for years and, and developed all these different ideas of, of what is and what isn't sin. What we go and say that these things are sin, these things aren't sin, and, and we completely take them outside the Bible when the sin that the Holy Spirit has come to address on, on the inside of us is the sin of unbelief. Let's go ahead and look over at Mark chapter 8. And Jesus dealt with this a lot in, in his ministry as well. Mark chapter 8 and verse 13. I'm in Matthew. Mark chapter 8 and verse 13. Jesus is talking here um, to his disciples, and, and, and they're on a trip. And let, let's pick up in verse 13. He says, And he left them, and getting into the boat again, he departed to the other side. Now the disciples had forgotten to take bread, and they did not have more than one loaf with them in the boat. So you got, you got 12, uh, 12 disciples and, and one Subway sandwich in the bread and, or in the boat, and you, you know a footlong's not going to go that far. Uh, verse 15, Then he charged them, and he said this, Take heed, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. And they reasoned among themselves, saying, it's because we have no bread. And Jesus, uh, being aware of it, said to them, why do you reason because you have no bread? Do you not perceive nor understand? Is your heart still hardened? Having eyes, do you not see? And having ears, do you not hear? And do you not remember? When I broke the five loaves for the 5,000, how many baskets full of fragments did you take up? And they said to him, 12. And... Verse 20 also, when I broke the seven for the 4,000, how many large baskets of the full of fragments did you take up? And they said, seven. And Jesus said to them, so how is it you do not understand? 
So Jesus is going and he's, he's correcting their idea here. They're, they're convinced when Jesus said, beware of the, you know, the leaven of the, the, the Pharisees, the leaven of Herod, um, you know, they're convinced he's, I, I don't know, talking about food poisoning or whatever, man. Like, Jesus, I know you're, I know you're stirring up trouble, but I don't know if they're, at, they're that out to get you. You know, food poisoning's a little, is a little far, man. Um, you know, and, and that's, that's, I'm sure, what they're, what they're thinking at that time. But Jesus isn't talking about natural things. He, he's going and, and using natural examples to address spiritual things. And this is something that you see repeatedly throughout the ministry of Jesus. He goes and he uses things in the natural to address a spiritual issue. So what he's actually saying here, and we'll, uh, we're not going to go through all of these scriptures today uh, to prove this out, but go ahead and study this out for yourself. You'll, you'll find that it's bared out in, in the writings of, of Paul. It's bared out in the writings of Peter. Um, Jesus is saying there's two types of leaven that you need to be concerned with as a follower of me. The first is the leaven of the Pharisees. Now, the leaven of the Pharisees, if you've studied any kind of Bible history at all, the leaven of the Pharisees is simply trying to put people under legalism, trying to put people under, under laws, under things that they don't need to be under. So he's saying, watch out for that, but also watch out for the leaven of Herod. Now, what's, what's the leaven of Herod? You, you see, the leaven of Herod is, uh, well, l- l- let me say it this way. Herod, we, we know Herod was, was ruled and governed by his senses, right? He, he was ruled and governed by his flesh. His, his daughter, uh, or, or rather, you know, he, he married his brother's wife, and um, then she went and had her, her daughter, his stepdaughter, do, uh, you know, some kind of... Uh, you know, I, I guess it has to be some kind of, you know, sexual dance there in front of him. Um, it, when Before he beheaded John the Baptist and, and he, you know, gave her John the Baptist's head on a platter. And, and you see over and over again that he was ruled by this, uh, this, this um, hedonism almost, where, where it was his flesh was in control. And, and it was all sensualism and, and sensationalism and, and all of these things. And so Jesus is saying, watch out for that as well. You know, the, the truth, uh, one, one, of my, one of my favorite teachers, uh, a man by the name of Brother Hagen, he said this years ago. He said that so often we get off the ditch on one side of the road and we get over into the ditch on the other when in fact the truth often lies in the middle. You see, we're not going and we're not using the law to put people under bondage, but at the same time, um, go, go and uh, we'll, we'll turn over to First Peter chapter 1. At the same time, don't go and, and use your liberty and claim liberty and freedom. Don't, don't use that and, and say, well, we're free, we're free, we're free, we're free, and we can live however we want. No, the, the, the big issue here is... Um, you need to go and you need to live from the heart and allow my Holy Spirit to lead you and to guide you and to direct you. And, and so when we go and we try to, to live by the leaven of the Pharisees, um, Pastor Michael Smith said this. He, he said, be careful of using the law to achieve grace means. Be careful of using the law to achieve grace means. Well, what does that mean? Be careful of going and trying to correct someone's behavior by utilizing the law. Be careful of trying to go and say, well, you know, the, the Ten Commandments say, you know, not to, to, to it says to tell the truth and to, to do this and to do that and uh, not to steal and, uh, you know, well, so you need to stop. You need to stop doing that. No, watch out. 
Don't go and use the law to attempt to achieve grace means. Uh, don't, don't go and try to put this on somebody, put something on them that, that they're not uh, supposed to be under. And, and so, you know, in, in conclusion, we'll, we'll go ahead and take a look here at First uh, John. And, and I think this is, this is the, the final thing we need to address here in this it is, it is now that we're going and we're saying that this all comes down to the sin of unbelief. And will you believe the truth about what God has said? Will you believe that he's made you the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus? The only sin left is the sin of unbelief. So let's go ahead now and, and look at First uh, John 1 and, and 9. And I think this is a question that comes up uh, quite often nowadays. And uh, let's, let's look at this on its own. First uh, John 1, 9, if we confess our sins... He's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Okay, well, yeah, I, I believe that. That's in the Bible. But what happens if we don't confess our sins? What happens if you die with an unconfessed sin? What happens if I, as a believer, went out and for some reason went and, and, and robbed a bank and went and, uh, you know, did all these these horrible kinds of things and and I got hit by a car and you know, never, never was able to, to repent of these sins, never was able to go and uh, confess my sins. And he, he, he's, you know, what happens then? Am I, am I no longer uh, cleansed from all unrighteousness? Well, remember earlier, recall in the book of Hebrews, we, we said that Jesus was the final sacrifice once for all. He's already dealt with sin. So we've got to go ahead and we've got to understand how this, how this works, how this, um, that this passage works in 1 John. If we don't read this in context, we're going to miss the point. So 1 John chapter 1, back up to verse 5. It says this, This is the message we've heard from him and declare to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he's in the light, we have fellowship with one another and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now again, um, we, we have got to look at that verse and understand this, this context here. First John 1, he is, he is going here in the beginning of this, and he is addressing this He's addressing a heresy in the church, a, a, a heresy that was, was saying that we as, as, as people, we don't have sin to start with, and we don't need to, to acknowledge the fact that, that we have sin here on the inside of us, and we don't need to acknowledge that to come to Jesus. And John's saying, no, if we say that there was no sin in us, there's no sin in us, then we deceive ourselves. And, and the truth isn't in us. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. And so, uh, and then verse 10, if we say we've not sinned, we make him a liar, his word is not in us. And he goes on and on. And um, verse two, actually, in chapter two, right there, right after that, he says, he himself, meaning Jesus Christ, is the propitiation for our sins. And not for ours only, but also for the whole world. And so we have got, to got to got to read these verses in context. You see, John isn't saying that you as a Christian live your life in a perpetual uh, 
a, a perpetual motion machine or in a pendulum. And when you're, you're living right and doing right and you've confessed your sins, that you're forgiven, you're righteous, you're holy, but oh, all of a sudden I lied to so-and-so. And, you know, well, not even a big lie, just, uh, well, why are you late to work today? Well, you know, there was a wreck and... Yeah, it was on the other side of the freeway, but there was that's why I was late. When when reality is, you know, you didn't get out of bed and didn't shower on time and you were you were running behind and you know all that. So, all of a sudden now we've swung into this pendulum of you were righteous and now you're not. And so now I go and say, "Father, forgive me. I've sinned." And now the pendulum swings swings back over and I am righteous. And and then you go and uh you act rudely to the, you know, to the barista at Starbucks and all of a sudden now you're back in unrighteousness. This isn't how it works. Jesus is not double-minded concerning us. He's not confused about us. You see, the only sin that is, that is left to be dealt with is the sin of unbelief. There is nothing else here that can change your righteousness status. He's, we do not need to go. Jesus in here is, not, is clearing up, rather. Jesus is clearing up what the true message of the gospel is. He is not telling us uh, that we have to be continually cleansed or that we're not forgiven if we don't confess. That would go contrary or counter to the truth that we have been cleansed and Jesus was the final sacrifice for all sin for all time. John is saying, this is how you come to Jesus. You have to come and confess your sin and say, Lord, I'm a sinner. Forgive me. I receive you. Jesus, come into my heart. Make me new. That's it. Acknowledge it. Move on. You are no longer caught in this perpetual, I'm the righteousness of God, but now I sin, so I'm a sinner and I'm no longer righteous. And back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. That is not the gospel. That is not good news. Jesus is not concerned about that at all. The only thing the Holy Spirit is concerned with is will you believe the finished works of Jesus Christ? Will you believe what he did on that cross for you 2,000 years ago? And if you will believe that, if you will believe what he's said, believe what he's done, and receive what he's done, and walk in that, then you're going to see these things change in your life. Then you'll walk in the freedom provided by Jesus. Then you'll walk in the grace provided by Jesus Christ. Amen? Well, thank you so much for tuning in today. We're so glad you joined us. Go ahead and check us out on Facebook at uh, facebook.com slash bygraceinternational. You can also look us up on Instagram and Twitter at bygraceintl. Uh, you can check out our website. It's bygraceinternational.com while you're there. Make sure you sign up for our mailing list. Uh, promise we're not going to bombard you with emails or spam. You know, we'll just, we're going to send you our monthly uh, partner letter. This is things the Lord's been showing us and, and teaching us and, uh, you know, up, upcoming information on, on events where we may be at speaking and, and things like that. And when we go and we, we put out new material as well, uh, such as new blogs and things like that, you'll be notified as well. So go over to bygraceinternational.com, sign up for that. You don't want to miss it. And while you're there, pray. Uh, prayerfully consider becoming a monthly partner with this ministry. You know, as, as you go and as you partner with us in this message that the Lord has placed on on the inside of Shelby and my heart, you know, uh, not only do we want to see life change and life transformation in people, but we desire to see that change occur in churches as well. And 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 as you give and as you're a part of that, you're helping us to go and you're helping us to reach churches that we couldn't reach before. You're helping us to go and travel to churches and and 
um, helping us go and, and help them reach their communities more, helping us help them to be more effective. And, and in, in reality, it's you who's doing the work. We're just, we're just the people who go there and, and you know, say, hi, you guys are the ones responsible for it all. And, and so thank you all so much, and we'll see you again next week.